The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Hi, my guest today is John Fisk, who is an award-winning family mediator and mediation trainer, and he's been mediating since 1979. He has mediated probably more than 2,500 divorces, separations, and postmarital contracts to help couples stay married. And it's the helping couples stay married that we will focus on for the most part today. Since 1982, the, door, the sign on his door has said, Upheavals do end. He is often quoted in local and national media as an advocate and spokesperson for family mediation. You can go to www.mediate.com slash FISK, which is F-I-S-K-E, for details about his current family mediation practice. It's really a thrill to have you on the show today, John. Thanks. And (laughs) I thought you have such a good story about an adventure your family had around 1978. I would love to start with that story. Well, it, it was an interesting time in our life. We have, in 1978, my wife was teaching English at Wellesley High School, and she got a leave of absence from her job. I had basically come to an agreement with the Chief Justice of our Supreme Judicial Court that I should resign my position as state court administrator in Massachusetts, where I was trying to help the courts of Massachusetts run in a more businesslike way. And that was a very challenging job. So I was thrilled at the prospect of resigning. We had three, we had three kids at the time, 12, 15, and 17. And we decided to take them out of school and bicycle through Europe and backpack in Asia for a year. We thought that That's would amazing. be a good thing to do. And, and it was, I had no, I was 42. My dad said, you can't just drop out like that. With no, what are you going to do when you come back? I said, I have no idea. So basically, we got as far as Nepal in February of 1979 and then turned around and came back. And all I thought about on the way out was how do I keep everybody safe? All I thought about on the way back is what am I going to do now? And my wife suggested at some point we look back on what happened and all the things we talked about. And she remembers a conversation in which she said, you know, you're good at helping people talk to each other. And when people get divorced, they don't have anybody who will help them do that. So you should, when you get back to Massachusetts, you should start getting people who are getting divorced to sit down and talk to each other. 
Well, clearly your wife is a very smart woman. (laughs) I'm very lucky. (laughs) She, (laughs) yes, she is. We're now, we've been married 55 years and we've been knowing each other since seventh grade. So, wow. And, And we decided, and this is highly relevant to what we're talking about. We decided in seventh grade, if we were going to have a, be friends, we had to be very open and honest with each other. And if she did something that made me mad, I had to tell her and not let it fester and vice uh-huh. versa. Uh-huh. And when you learned it, when you talk to people who have studied marriages and what makes marriage work, the consensus is conflict resolution skills, that if you have conflict resolution skills, you'll probably stay married and if you want to, and most people I think who get married want to. So yes. that that was a that was a fascinating uh, observation uh, to to learn that. Uh-huh. But, but anyway, so so I when I got back to America, I had been the state court administrator. A lot of the judges knew me. I've been a lawyer in Massachusetts for about fifteen years. Mm-hmm. So I talked to everybody I could find about the idea of helping people sit down and talk to each other in the process of getting divorced. And mediation was just started. Yeah, I was thinking that's that's when family mediation really was beginning in the United States. It didn't exist before then. You know, Goethe says when you commit yourself to something, providence takes over. And providence sure took over for me because I came back at the perfect time. The Boston Bar Association had just issued a professional ethics opinion saying, the first in the country, saying it's okay for a lawyer to be a mediator in a divorce as long as he doesn't represent either party. And he tells both the husband and the wife, you each have a right to your own lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I still carry that that two-page opinion with me everywhere I go, because that was, that was the conceptual foundation of my whole practice. Because mm-hmm. a lot of my colleagues said, oh, my God, John, you're going to get disbarred. You can't represent both people in a divorce. My mm-hmm. friend said, John, you're becoming a meditator. <laughs> and no, nobody knew what is so familiar to you and me now right. was not so familiar 30 years ago. Right. Yeah, there still are a lot of people who have never heard of family mediation. And among the people who have heard of family mediation, the first category they probably think of is divorce mediation, which is exactly. where you started. That's where you started. That's where but I that's started. Not where you ended up. How did you begin mediating marriages instead of or in addition to divorces? Well, I'll go back to Marty Fisk again. She in in 19 about 1987 i'd been doing this now for about 8 years i was telling her you know these when i when people come in to get divorced they start talking to each other i tell each of them you have to know what you want you have to tell each other what you want and these couples would start laughing and say what are you laughing about and they say well we've been married 30 years and we've never known what we wanted oh my so it's it's a great question and I think in most arguments, not just in divorce, but in so many things, we get arguing and we don't know what it is we want. And if you have to stop, and it's very useful to stop and ask yourself, what is most important to me? What do I want? 
So getting people to do that in divorce, during the divorce process proved to be very beneficial for them. And many couples told me, you know, we're getting along a lot better than we ever did. If we had done this five years ago, we wouldn't be getting divorced, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And I was telling my wife about this, and she said, well, why don't you start using mediation to help people stay married? Hmm. Okay, Interesting well, idea. I can't do that. I'm not a therapist, and that's therapy. And besides, under the law, it's not clear that couples who are already married can enter into contracts to change the terms of their marriage. So I thought about both of those, especially the latter, because I'm fascinated by contracts. I love being a lawyer. I love writing agreements. And I started talking to other lawyers, and one wise judge, Rudy Cass, from the appeals court, a dear friend, said, you know, I don't see any reason why just because you're married you shouldn't be able to enter into contracts. So I started telling couples, you know, this is something you should do. And there's, it's interesting, there's a case in Massachusetts between a woman named Geraldine Fogg, F-O-G-G, and her husband David. F-O-G-G is called the Fogg case. And in that case, Geraldine was thinking of getting a divorce, and, and, and her husband said, don't get divorced, I'll, it, and, and I'll pay you to stay married to me. And she said, fine, pay me $100,000 and I'll stay married to you. So he did. And she promptly filed for a divorce. And he wow. sued and to get his money back. And the court said, that, that is a case of a contract that was a fraud. And we are not going to decide whether, if it had not been a fraud, whether it would be enforceable or not. We leave that question to another day. So it's fitting that that case was named Fog because it left all of us in a big fog. Yes. But I <laughs> but thought. Did that, he get his hundred thousand dollars back? Yeah, yeah. The court okay. said that's not was never a valid contract because she never okay. intended to keep her word. Okay. So the my my whole reading of all the cases involving premarital agreements was that our. Our court really likes contracts. So I was telling people, you know, these contracts are valid as long as you do them right. I was training mediators to become marital mediators and saying, you know, these contracts will be enforceable. And one of my colleagues said, John, how can you say that because of the Fogg case? And it was a daring thing to say, but it it proved to be a wonderful prediction because three years ago, Mrs. Craven and Mr. Anson Craven, Mr. Craven Anson, got in a big fight over whether their contract that they had entered into after they got married was a valid contract. And our Supreme Judicial Court said, in a great opinion, Anson versus Craven Anson, that's how I can say their names because it's public information, said these contracts are valid as long as there's no fraud and no duress. Okay. And 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 we can talk about that more in this in this precious hour, but it that was a big help to the to the acceptance of postmarital agreements not just in our state, but I think nationwide now a lot of people, a lot of other mediators are are really interested in this and 
I think it's so much fun when couples come in to say, and we start asking them, what do you want to do? And they're looking at each other and they can't decide what to do. And they can say, well, this is one-stop shopping. You can get a divorce. You can separate temporarily. Or if you want, you can change the terms of your marriage. And some couples say, well, let's do that. Okay. So sometimes you're mediating a divorce. Sometimes you're helping people to plan their own separation on their own terms. And sometimes you're helping people figure out what the terms of their contract with each other will be if they stay married. How is mediating a marriage similar to and different from mediating a divorce? Great question. I think there's more... There's more focus on on longevity. I don't know why that word leaps to help me answer your good question. That they're talking about staying together the rest of their lives. They're not if they're parents, they're parents forever, even if they're divorced. But if they stay married, they're talking about continuing to do things together and sharing money together and and remaining loyal to each other sexually most of the time. And that's a very different conversation than sort of the sad conversation that I see in mediation where a lot of my clients are very nice people. They still care about each other a lot, but they just don't want to stay married anymore. And then Mm -hmm. you have the couples who say, damn, you know, I'm not ready to give up on this marriage. And the other one says, well, neither am I, neither am I. And, one of them said, let's get rid of marriage number one and start with marriage number two. What a wonderful idea. <laughs> and so they both were both plunged into it, and, and it was a wonderful idea. Okay. So can you say anything about the kinds of terms that are often included in the marriage contracts that come out of marriage mediation? You know, a lot, yes. A lot of them have to do with money. The, the, the people, people argue over money. I've written articles and talked about what is it about money that makes money so different. And, but, but in, it, it has to do with, if you write down two words, if you write down control and acknowledgement, I think you're, you're close to the heart of the matter. And contr- there are a lot of control issues that revolve around money. Uh, how do we spend money? How do how do we keep records about money? How much do we share information with each other about money? Does does in the typical case that I see, and certainly in the early '80s anyway, women did not have a lot of information about the family finances. So I think that's changing now, changing for the good. There are cases now, I have cases now where the woman's making more money than the man. And the woman knows, in some cases, the woman knows a lot lot more about the finances than the man does. And then the roles are reversed, and people have to learn to share information about money. And that's one of the things that, that that goes to the heart of the whole process, the the biggest criticism of mediation in the beginning was that, oh, my God, it's not fair. Women are going to, this was the National Organization of Women in 1979 thought mediation was a terrible thing. 
very dangerous for women because women getting divorced didn't have any information about money and there was no, quote, legal discovery. They oh didn't take depositions of the husband. They didn't go through these expensive legal processes. And I think the mediation community heard that criticism and responded to it and now uses all kinds of processes within the voluntary, the gift of voluntariness that's mediation and exchange all their financial information voluntarily, and mm-hmm. which makes it a much, much better process. But that's, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's, one, that's what people talk about a lot in mediation is not just how much money do you make, but how am I going to know that and how, what kind of process are we going to do? And a perfect example, a couple with a three-month, let's say they have a three-year-old child. Mm-hmm. And that that child's not going to be emancipated until in Massachusetts and for probably 20 years. So they can agree right now on a fair number for child support, but that number's not going to stay the same for the next 20 years. Right. They'll, and so they agree, let's meet every April and we'll exchange tax returns and then we'll recalculate the child support. And they have to both be willing to trust that the other will be open and honest. Mm-hmm. Or he says okay, I'll pay you monthly based on my monthly salary, but every at the end of every year I get a bonus of, say, $50,000. Well, I can't share, pay that bonus, a share, pay you a share of the bonus every month because I don't get it until December. So when I get it, I'll pay you a third of it or whatever the percentage is. And okay. she says, well, how do I trust that you'll tell me? And th- those are the kinds of conversations that, that we have in the mediation process. And that sort of conversation about child support would happen in the context of divorce. But you're saying in the context of marriage mediation, people are often making specific plans about how they're going to handle the money that comes into the family and how they're going to keep each other informed about what's going on. Absolutely. One of my most classic cases involved a couple who had worked very hard in their marriage and accumulated a lot of money, and they kept it all in a joint account. And his philosophy was to save every penny. And she wanted to spend money on things that she considered very necessary, and he didn't always agree with her. So so they had big arguments about her spending money that he wanted to save. And this was all in the joint account. And Uh after about... Uh, and we would meet when they came in to see me, they wanted to get a divorce and we talked about it for about 20 minutes and he got up to go to the men's room and the wife stood up and walked over to my wall where there's an article hanging on my wall that was in money magazine in 1988 about postmarital agreements in which couples entered into agreements to change the terms of their marriage and a light bulb went off over her head. And when her husband came back in the room, she said, Joe, this guy can help us stay married. And he said, what are you talking about? And I explained about postmarital contracts. And he said, well, let's try to do that. And they spent a year working on their contract. Wow. And, and he was represented by David Lee. And she was represented by Roberta Benjamin. They, they were two of the best divorce lawyers in Boston, who were both thrilled to have clients who wanted to stay together. 
and they were the two lawyers were very helpful. Though David said to me one day, John, stop telling this couple they're pioneers. We don't want them to think that they're that special. (laughs) Okay. You know, I hate to interrupt you in the middle of a good story, but it's time for us to go to a break. So we'll come back to this story of a good result from marriage mediation after a short break. I'm very glad you interrupted because I'm talking too much. I'll be quiet. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Hi, this is Virginia Collin again, and I'm talking with John Fisk, one of the pioneers of family mediation. Before break, we were talking about a family that initially came in to discuss getting divorced because they had such big disagreements about how to handle the family's money. And they changed their minds and decided to stay around and negotiate the terms of their marriage and have a shared plan for how to handle money. So I interrupted you in the middle of that story, John. What's next? Well, what happened then was... When they decided to do this, it turned out that because all their money was in a joint account, neither of them had any funny money to spend on their own. So 
we started brainstorming and came up with the idea, instead of one joint account, what if they just split their money right now? And let's say they, let's pretend they had $6 million. They would, they would each get their own $3 million, and they would, there would be nothing joint. And she thought that was a wonderful idea, and he thought that was a wonderful idea. And then wow. they start, and then they, their very high regard for each other started defining what happened next. And I feel so fortunate as a mediator because we are outsiders in these people's lives, and they are very brave. My clients are very brave, and they sort of allow us into their most innermost dreams and hopes and fears. And it turns out he felt that he should be entitled to more than half because he had been just a prodigious worker and was very good, and she totally agreed with him. So they agreed, let's split everything, say, 60-40. Mm-hmm. And, and then he said to her, I'm so glad with, that we have resolved this, that I want to pay you alimony within the marriage. I want to write a check to you for $50,000 every year because I hate writing checks. And I don't want to do it every month. Once a year in January, I'll, or once a year, I'll write you a check for $50,000. And, and you'll be responsible when we file jointly for paying your share of the taxes on that money. And she thought, that's a great idea. Now, when will you pay me? So they had a long discussion. And, 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 and they, had, they had come up with the percentage because... She said to him, you know, I agree with you that you should get more than I should. I want you to make a proposal of how much more you think you should get than I do. So he said, I got to go home and think about that for a month. And one of the lessons is a proposal is an opportunity, but it's a huge responsibility. Uh-huh. It's a huge responsibility to the to the community to come up with a number that's reasonable. So he came back and said, "I think sixty forty is fair." She instantly agreed. So now they're talking about the fifty thousand dollar check he's going to write her, and the question is when. And uh-huh. they talked for, and so he said to her, "I want you to tell me when." And she thought about it for a while and said, "I want you to pay that to me on my birthday." So every year. She gets a check for fifty thousand bucks from her husband on her birthday. That's wonderful. And it's something and, that they came up themselves because they they have so much respect for their marriage and and it's worked. They're still mm-hmm. married. Mm-hmm. And I would guess that there are other couples who don't find that nearly so easy. Yeah, there might yeah, be couples where the husband says, look, I've earned it, I'm thrifty, you just go spend money frivolously whenever you feel like it, let's do 75-25. Absolutely. (laughs) And the wife might not think that was fair. (laughs) Absolutely. And And then one of the beauties of mediation is that they can talk it through, they can take as long as they need to really think through why why there that proposal might make sense or why it might have consequences that are not what they really want exactly and and what ha- what the dynamic that's going on in the room is is this concept of agreement and what mm-hmm. happens to many couples is they have a dandy argument and let's say they disagree and they're both right 
But after a while, they both say we don't want any disagreement. The concept of agreement is more important to us. And therefore, one of them says, you know, okay, you want me to, you want me to, to only get 60% and I want it 65%, but will you really, really be okay with, if I agree with you on 60%? Are you, will, will you really feel that that's a fair solution? Fair to you, fair to me? And she says, yes. And he says, fine. I want an mm-hmm. agreement with you. That's what we're going to do. Okay. And, and it happens a lot. But as you say, they, they, they go home, they think about it, they take their time, and, and they have those lonely walks in the woods where he's trying to figure out what is most, it, am I going to fight over another 5% of our assets, or am I, do I want to stay married to her? Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned that money comes up a lot. That's been my experience in divorce cases and in the few marital cases that I've had. What else? What other issues prompt people to come to marital mediation? Well, an issue that... Um, an, issue that, that, an issue that came up for a couple that ended up getting divorced was this question of control. And the, and the wife said... In the very first meeting, she says, what I hate about dealing with my husband is he always gets his own way. Uh. And, and it turns out that one of the things that they really wanted to stay married, but they, they gave up. <clears throat> and they, mm-hmm. didn't even, they were not open to the possibility when I brought it up with them because they were both just so exhausted. And, and, and they, they told me of some of the disputes they had had, and one of their... <clears throat> disagreements, and it's a disagreement my wife and I have, is when do you leave a party? Mm-hmm. And and she is very outgoing and gregarious, and she wants to, when they're at, at a party having a good time, and they both are having a good time, she wants to stay. And he says, no, we've been here long enough, I want to go home. So they couldn't resolve that, and they tried one of the solutions was that in even numbered months, he got to decide when they left a party. So it's June, and he gets to decide, and she's in the middle of a fascinating conversation over in the corner with Virginia, and and he comes over and says, I have decided we are going to leave, and she has to leave because that's the deal, and she hates it. Wow. And then in July, he wants to leave, and he comes over and says, can't we please go home? And she says, tough luck. This is an odd-numbered month. Virginia and I are going to talk for another hour. And <laughs> now, that did they have only one vehicle? Did they consider well, then they tried. To, then they tried going to the party in separate cars. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they both thought that was stupid. Oh, but, dear. And, and it's interesting. In the divorce, their big argument was over some money that she had inherited and in Massachusetts it's not clear is that a marital asset or not and people argue about it all the time and he wanted to include her money and she didn't and at the fifth meeting he 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 came in and said I give up I I want to get this done and she and I asked him why are you agreeing to this you have been opposed to it from the very beginning and he said because I want to get this done and the wife said, for the first time in our marriage, he's not getting what he wants. I totally agree. Where do I sign this agreement? And wow. so she felt very vindicated because for the first time in their marriage, he wasn't getting what 
what he wanted. And yeah. that, if, if he had been able to do that in the marriage, they might have stayed married. Because that uh-huh. was the issue for her. It mm-hmm. just it, it wasn't about the money. It was just about this feeling that I'm an inferior person. That that as or as one woman said, you never valued. You never thought I had any value. Yeah, she was the, always a second class citizen. Yeah, the 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 stockbroker who's 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 in my office, and he and he asks his wife a terrific question, and then before he can answer it, before she can answer this terrific question, he asks her another one, and I. I would. Li- I went through this for about two hours in the, in their second meeting. I said, you know, I'm realizing listening to you that you do this, make the same mistake that I do. You ask your wife a question and you don't give her a chance to answer it. And she said, yeah, that that's because he doesn't care what I think. Ooh. Ooh. Exactly. So, do you so, care what your wife thinks? <laughs> yeah, I do, and my wife says I interrupt her all the time. And the, the, are, are you practicing giving her time to answer? I am. I All am. Right. But I have to really listen. And when, after okay. she's answered, if she says to me, now tell me exactly what I just said, I might get a C minus. She was, she was a strict, she was an English teacher with very high uh-huh. standards. <laughs> but back to your question, what else do people argue about? My most recent couple, I love talking about, have come to me because they want to have civil conversations about money. Well, that's all they want. They, they're not that's having arguments. That's an excellent goal. That's an excellent goal. I it's like an it. excellent goal, and we, we've written an agreement that they both agree to, in which, which defines how they're going to pay their bills and how they're going to have civil conversations about money. And once a month, they come back and meet with me for, to check in for 15 minutes just to talk about how it's going, what's working well, what isn't. And it's mm-hmm. a huge success. Mm-hmm. They're, they're under lots of other pressures. And and it's been a very creative process. And one that I talked about a lot at the recent national conference that you and I were both at is just an example of enormous creativity that mediators have at their disposal mm-hmm. to help people resolve other issues. And it is really amazing that people can come up with ways to put something into written words, that that they can do that about money is not so surprising, but that they can do that about how they're going to treat each other with respect, and they can do that about how they're going to communicate with each other. They're going to have civil conversations about this. It's wonderful, and people do it. Yeah, I have a big smile on my face. You're absolutely right. In, I was training a group of mediators in Connecticut in marital mediation, and one of them had been doing it, and she said, I have a couple who, where the big issue is he's always late. So they've agreed that every time he's late, he puts $15 into the cookie jar. And then the cookie jar is a joint asset, and so they both can draw on it. And so he's... He's trying to reduce the amount of money that he puts into the cookie jar by forcing himself to be on time, and it's changing their marriage. Wow. Because I want to talk about Michelle Wiener Davis just for a minute, because she's a, for people who are listening, she is a huge resource for people who are interested in helping couples stay married. She's a therapist who has devoted her life to helping couples stay married and has written a, a series of books that most recent of which that I'm aware of is called The Divorce Remedy. 
And and in that book, she she talks about seven steps to fixing your marriage. And one of the reasons I love her book is she talks about the importance of knowing what you want. And she's the only author that I and I read everything I can get my hands on about mediation. She's the only one who talks about the importance of knowing what you want. But she also talks about changing behavior. And when mm-hmm. you're arguing about control, there's really only one person in the whole world you can control. And who's that? That's yourself. That's yourself. So when you decide to do something differently, that's going to change the relationship. My wife, let's say, my wife is used to getting up in the morning before I do and fixing her own breakfast. Well, let's say I get up earlier than she does and fix a perfect breakfast for her that I happen to know she loves. That's going to change our relationship. And I Mm -hmm. can control that. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's one of the many pearls of wisdom from Michelle Wiener Davis. Sounds great. So she's a therapist. How is marital mediation different from marital counseling? Contracts, contracts, contracts. And that's my first answer to that good question. And the, the question, what are you going to do, is one of the things that excited me to go into the divorce field after having been a lawyer for 20 years and hating divorce, agreeing I'll never touch a divorce as a lawyer, it's a horrible experience, was the passage of no-fault divorce law in 1977 in Massachusetts and in different years in other states. And what that means is you don't have to prove that the other person did something wrong. All you're doing is answering is the question is, what are we going to do? And the total focus in marital mediation is the same question. What are we going to do? Therapy tends to spend a lot more time talking about the past, and mediation spends a lot of time talking about the future. And you can't ignore the past. People want to argue about the past, and I think it's, I have a box of Kleenex on my table because it's an important tool for the mediator because people come in and they want to vent. They want to talk about how frustrated he was when she was late once again, and it caused them to miss a train and it screwed up their whole summer vacation because she was late once again and that's all he wants to talk about and she said look we're here with a mediator what are we going to do what are we going to do from now on and that's the i think for me that's that's the primary difference i'm a a lawyer i'm not a therapist but Uh lawyers can listen and therapists can be very proactive too so Sometimes they overlap, but the basic difference right. between mediation and therapy is that mediation is looking at looking through the looking through the windshield going forward and not looking in the rearview mirror about what happened before. Very good. So, how long does it typically take people to negotiate a contract in marital mediation, marriage mediation? Well, most couples who who come to see me take less than 10 hours of my time. I charge $425 an hour, and the first half hour is free just so they can figure out, do we want to use this guy or not? And if we do use him, what for? Do we want to stay married or don't we? And sometimes I'll send couples to, there's a therapist in Lexington, Janet Wiseman, who's really gifted at helping couples figure out what do we want. She's mm-hmm. a mediator. Uh, with more of a therapeutic background than I am. And sometimes I'll say, look, go see Janet, (laughs) figure out what you want to do. And when you figure out what you want to do, if you want to stay married, come back and see me. And so 
people will then come back and see me, and they will spend less than 10 hours with me in all likelihood. Uh-huh. The, the most recent one, the Civil Conversations About Money, have spent about, I'd say, eight hours coming up with their basic agreement, and now once a month they come back and spend 15 minutes. And we've become, we're all very fond of each other, and, and we spend a lot more than 15, 15 minutes, but they pay me $100 and okay. go home happy. Well, let's hold that thought. We're going to take another break, and I will be back with John Fisk talking about marriage mediation after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. My guest today is John Fisk, one of the pioneers in family mediation and definitely one of the pioneers in marriage mediation. I want to ask you, John, after all these years mediating marriages, helping people work it out so they can stay together and be happy, what have you learned about marriage? That, that it's, well, certainly that it's worth fighting for. And, and one, of the, one of the fascinating points that the court raised in Craven Anson is, is what standard do we, the court is always going to apply a standard to a contract that comes before it. Is it a fair contract? Is it fair and reasonable? And 
if if you and I, Virginia, decided we wanted to get married and we entered into a premarital contract before we got married, the standard of the validity of that is, again, there's no fraud or duress, but that it has to be fair at the beginning and it has to be fair at the time it's sought to be enforced. That's what the court looks for. Okay. But now let's say you and we don't enter into a premarital agreement. We Now we've been married six years and we decide to change the terms of our marriage by a written agreement that's, let's say, divides our assets differently or something. Mm-hmm. And the court says that contract is going to be held to a higher standard. And there's a dispute in the field about this. The American Law Institute says a postmarital agreement and a premarital agreement should be held to the same test. Is it fair? Was it fair then? Is it fair now? Our uh-huh. Supreme Judicial Court said no. The bargaining power of a fiancé is much greater than the bargaining power of a spouse. And a fiancé can say, hey, I want no part of you. If, if you. if you want me to sign a premarital agreement in which you earn all this money and never share it with me, I don't want to be married to you. So the engagement so off, cancel the wedding, don't send out the invitations, and that's the end of it. But now, 10 years later, we're married, and... Now, if I want to end a marriage, I have to go through a divorce and all that. I have to hire a lawyer and spend forty or fifty or sixty thousand dollars, whatever a divorce costs these days. So I don't have the same bargaining power that I did have. So the court is going to hold that marital contract to a higher standard, and that's one of the fascinating points that I thought the audience would be lit, would be interested in that. And this is not the and this is not the be all and end all of answers. It's true in Massachusetts, but the American Law Institute doesn't agree with it. So other states may have a different test. But here in so Massachusetts, what would what would the higher standard be? I mean, no fraud, no duress, fair at the beginning, fair at the time that it's applied. What's what's added to that that makes it a higher standard? Yeah, well, I, I think that's a good question. I think the courts may look very hard at exactly what the negotiations, how the negotiations were conducted. And, and, and my, my statement of as long as there's no fraud and du- no duress, that's, that's, that's sort of the Reader's Digest summary of what the test will be. But that, that, can, be a, that can be a very high standard and as to what exactly would be the duress that, that would make that agreement unenforceable. If the wife says, look, I, I really didn't have much choice about negotiating this marital agreement because I was sick at the time and uh, I didn't want the marriage to continue, but I didn't, I didn't have any money to, for a retainer, for a lawyer, and I'm scared of my husband or whatever. Wow. Just, the court's gonna gonna scrutinize that question of the the openness and honesty of the exchange of information and whether either one of them was under compulsion of any kind. And so it's a great question because the same test when you get when you get divorced the the question the judge asks you is did you sign this agreement free from any constraint whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so the court's always concerned about it, but I think the degree of concern is elevated in Massachusetts for a marital agreement. I and see. so it's a it's a very important point because 
for the mediator, when the couple comes into you, and this happened to me last year, December 20th, they come to me and they say, we want to enter into a premarital agreement, and the wedding is December 28th. That ag- I told, told them that agreement's going to be very suspect because it's too close to the wedding. Why don't you wait and come back in February after you're married, and then we'll do the contract then. One lawyer said you know, that it's, it's harder to do that because you're telling the couple you're going to have to enter into an agreement that's going to be held to a higher standard, and to which my answer is, what's wrong with that? You know, what's wrong with holding people to a high standard? But it's just, it's a fascinating dynamic that, that, that your question leads to about, you know, what is this fraud and duress test uh-huh. after all? Uh-huh. Okay. So, I'm wondering what to ask you next. I, I know you've, You've mentioned, you've joked with me about how much married people interrupt each other. Yeah. In mediation, can you help them learn to stop doing that? I try. I, I try, especially when it's an important issue. I'm, I'm not a, a traffic cop when it comes to people interrupting. Some mediators start off with their opening statement and say, one of my rules is you can't interrupt each other. That's not my style. If people want to interrupt, they're going to explode if they don't interrupt. And I have told couples maybe, I don't know, once every 10 times, you know, if, if the two of you could figure out a way to listen to each other without interruption, you might be able to communicate better outside of here. I'm mm-hmm. just trying to get them to, to, I mean, Diane Newman, who's a great mediator and mediation trainer who I train mediators with, talks about modeling behavior and I mm-hmm. I try to model behavior by not interrupting and mm-hmm. the the couple that was with with me 2 days ago they, they've taught me not to really almost to say nothing because she comes in and she says I want to talk about why I think we're almost done but I think there are three parts of this agreement that are unfair and here they are and I start to say something, and he's already with an answer of what he thinks. So I've learned to just shut up and stay out of it. And and after an hour, I said to them, "You two can li- you are listening to each other. You're not interrupting each other. Keep going, and don't let me interrupt you." And and that proved to be very successful for them. And they they over the months of seeing me have. They've made huge progress in not interrupting one another. Now, if they, if they got, have become good at listening to each other and not interrupting each other, why do they still pay you to be in the room with them? Do they need you there so that they can <laughs> well, do that? Well, I have told that. That's a great question. People say to me, John, we, we pay you $425 an hour because we cannot talk about money without a third person present. Uh-huh. And I have said to couples, look, there's no charge for my office. I, I can leave and go down in the library and, and work on, on some other cases. And they say, no, no, we cannot do this without you here. David Hoffman, a great mediator and mediation scholar who's written wonderful books about mediation, has written about what he calls the paradoxes of mediation. And one of them is applying the Hawthorne effect to mediation. And 
when I was What's at the, the Hawthorne effect? When I was glad you asked. When I was at the Supreme Judicial Court studying management, I learned about the Hawthorne effect, which everybody learns about in business school. There was a General Electric had a factory in Hawthorne, New York, and they wanted to speed up their assembly line, so they called some consultants in, and the consultants said, "Turn the lights up." So they turned the lights up, and amazing, the, pr- the productivity of the factory went up by 5%. Then they turned the lights back to the way they were, and the productivity of the factory went up another 5%. And wow, what's the explanation? The people knew they were being washed. Uh-huh. And so they behaved differently. So not I'm getting goosebumps. when. People pay me because of the Hawthorne effect. I tell them, when you're done with me and you start emailing each other, emails are great as long as you are civil and you respond to each other promptly. And here's a suggestion. Put, when you send emails to each other, put ccjadamsfisk at yahoo.com on the bottom. I will not charge you anything to read your emails, and the fact that you know that I may look at them will help you maybe treat each other more civilly. That's applying what, what David Hoffman is talking about. The I love that. I love it, that. That's a great it's idea. Ab- it's absolutely fascinating. Very good. Well, we are running out of time. We've got maybe two or three minutes left. What would you most like to tell people about that we haven't already discussed? Just that to be that if your marriage is in trouble, don't despair. There are all kinds of people out there who can be helpful. There may be good therapists. There may there are now people who are parent coordinators. There are, there are lawyers and there are lawyers. Some lawyers are, will be very good listeners and try to help you be open to, work, to looking at other alternatives to divorce. But the the mediation is alive and well in the United States of America, and there, where wherever you are in the U.S. now, there we've been family mediation has been developing for the last thirty years, and there are good people within easy driving distance who can help the two of you sit down and listen to each other, talk to each other. Uh, my website has a, what I call a marital negotiation process in which it begins by you're asking yourself, what do I want? And that, Camus says, it's the hardest existential question. What mm-hmm. do I want? And, mm-hmm. and look out for yourself. Uh, an agreement is no good if you don't act in your own best interest. You have to be fair to yourself. That's my, those are my ringing words in conclusion. Okay, so to stay happily married, you need good conflict resolution skills, and you need to listen, and you also need to know yourself and know what you want. That is a great summary. Well, I took all those words from you, John. Yeah, but you, you, you put them together very nicely. Thank you. <laughs> Everything we do is derivative, you know. <laughs> 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 okay. Do you find that sometimes it, while you're still mediating, you get a chance to really coach people about their conflict resolution skills? Absolutely. Yeah, oh. I think that's that's a big part of what I do in mediation. Yeah. And that's that's true for divorce mediation as well as marriage oh, mediation. Oh, absolutely. The, the woman who says, you, you, you ask me two questions because you don't care what I think. 
if you care what I think, you know, ask me a question and then make sure the next voice you hear is my voice and not your voice. Excellent. And, and, and all those words, you know, talk about yourself, don't talk about me, et uh-huh. cetera. Okay. Lots of, lots of things we do to help. And, and these are not things you learn in law school. They're things that you learn when you become a mediator because lawyers are trained to look out for one person and the mediator is look, trying in that complex way is looking out for two people as well as himself or herself. Okay. Well, it's unfortunately time for me to say goodbye to John Fisk. You can find out more about him by going to his website, mediate.com slash Fisk, F-I-S-K-E. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.